stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. Today's woman was raised in an environment where others were like her. She wasn't fully aware of gender and other such barriers until she went to college. She also had a mom that always told her she could do anything she put her mind to, and she believed her. So in college, she began to explore what life might offer. She spent a semester at sea exploring 12 countries. She studied abroad and worked for a firm that provided services to fast-growing companies that wanted to establish subsidiaries and hire employees in dozens of countries. And she began to envision what might be possible. She decided to disrupt the way companies hired international talent by creating a platform that would act as a bridge across the world. Today, her company continues to grow and fill a critical global need. It is my pleasure to introduce a woman on her way to greatness, Nicole Sahin. Hi, Nicole. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Annette. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I think we're going to have a good time. And I'm just so pleased you've taken time out of your crazy schedule to share your wisdom of nuggets that I know you have so many of. So let's jump right on in. In the global staffing space, you had no competition when you started the company. So what advantages and disadvantages have you seen to being the first with a concept? Well, to clarify what we do, we help companies expand internationally in that if they want to hire employees in another country, they identify the talent and we put their employees on our payroll in that country. So they don't have to deal with the legal HR tax issues associated with hiring people in other countries and expanding their operations globally. So that explains why we didn't have any competition because it was a new legal platform. So in terms of how I found the courage to do something new, I think I just saw the opportunity to do something that that could fundamentally change the way the world works. And did that, was it one of those situations that you didn't realize what you had, the massiveness of what you got into till you were in it with both feet? No, I think I understood. I understood. <laughs> yeah, I understood that basically we would have to build a fully compliant global employer record platform, and that in order to comply with all the laws in all these different countries, we would have to be fully, fully compliant. I think what I underestimated at the outset was that was that it didn't exist already. I thought small companies in different countries would provide that solution to our clients, and that we could kind of piece all these different companies together to build a bridge. And what we ultimately ended up doing was building our own infrastructure because no one was meeting the quality and standards that U.S.-based public companies need in order to be compliant in so many countries. Was that scary to you or did it excite you? Both. I definitely am one of those people who look at scary situations and, and want to dive into them. It was a little bit scary. There were a few things that were scary. One, quitting my job and going to travel around the world to, to figure out how to do this was a little scary. And playing in the area of, I'm not sure if this is really compliant, it's not tried and true. And and a lot of tax advisors and lawyers at the time would have um, said it it wasn't legally possible to do what I wanted to do. And so I had to really thread the needle in several different countries to make, to make it possible for this to work. And ultimately it did. So 10 years later, we, we are fully compliant. Governments around the world have, have essentially signed off on our business platform and we're supporting thousands of companies with their global, you know, build global teams, which is pretty amazing, especially in the time of COVID because everybody needs some support. So, so yeah, it was scary, but ultimately, ultimately worth the adventure, I think. 
And it kept you going for a lot of years of just discovering and reinventing the pieces that you found were not where they needed to be, wasn't it? I never, I've never gotten bored. I'd say you never got bored. I can't imagine if you did, you'd go find something else. So, so I'm going to go, I'm going to stay in this business arena for a second. So you've been able to create high levels of revenue in your company, yet so many women entrepreneurs struggle to get past the million dollar mark. What advice would you give to them? I think my biggest advice is to think big and don't hold back because women are capable of so incredibly much. And yeah, I think the only thing holding ourselves back is, is ourselves. And we, we certainly tend to blame it on a lot of other things, though, don't we? At least I have found that. Maybe I've even done that myself along the way at times. Yeah, I think that's human nature. Yeah, yeah. Not enough money or women don't do that or all this social messaging that we hear for sure. So I'm in that messaging, I'm going to stay there for a second. So in the business world, you have heard a lot of sexist comments like, what a cute young woman you are. And you are a cute young woman, by the way. But do you let these types of comments slide? No, I don't. I don't react aggressively or publicly, but I do give people the feedback. So my interpretation of this is that most of the time when men say things like that, they're not, they're not trying to be offensive, that they just need to be educated. And in fact, sometimes they're trying to be nice or supportive. They're just kind of going about it in, in the way that they were trained, maybe in the culturally appropriate way in their generation, but it's not okay anymore. So usually I take them kind of quietly aside and, and give them the feedback. So I've had that happen a few times. For example, when interviewing CFOs was just a classic example. I had men ask me questions. I had one candidate, he said, oh, so when you met your husband, is that, is that when you started this business? And it was just like, or, or I've, I've had people ask, does my husband own, own my business or did we start it together? It's almost as if they think a woman couldn't start a business. But yeah, I just, I just kind of point it out to people and, and usually I take them aside and, and address it so that they can learn from it. And sometimes they're embarrassed or ashamed. Usually they're embarrassed or ashamed, but I find that I think it's better to educate people than to just let it slide because then they don't learn, but to do it in as polite of a way as possible. So be gentle with them, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, not everybody agrees with that approach, but yeah. <laughs> it builds a little longer term relationships, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I don't think burning down a bridge or making making people feel horrible about themselves is actually, I think it's probably counterproductive. Yeah, I agree with you. I see so often that happens, that women do react because they take it very personally. Yeah, that doesn't help either. That doesn't yeah. help either. Now, on either side. So in this space of, of sexist comments and how men may view you, I, I want to expand on that a little further. Have you found it hard at times to be taken seriously by men in the business world when you're asking for capital? Well, that's a good question. So have I found it hard to be taken seriously? Yeah, I think that there's a perceived lack of credibility that a blonde woman um, who's fashionably dressed, you know, I don't, I don't know, but just like presents as a woman that they might, you know, they might find it hard to take one seriously. I think it was more of an issue when I was younger and probably a little bit less seasoned or, you know, used to, used to breaking out the elbows. But basically, the way I usually deal with it is that I just choose not to do business with people who don't buy into my, you know, who, who, who I, I perceive as are not giving me credit where credit is due. But what I've generally found pretty often is that confidence and competence win the day pretty much every time. So as an example, when I was a young woman, about 26 years old, my job was to go in and advise companies, their, the C-suite, how to expand internationally from a legal tax and compliance perspective. 
And sometimes I would walk into the room and, and they would kind of look at each other like, oh no, you know, we thought we were going to have a, we thought we were going to have a meaningful conversation today. And here's the sales saleswoman uh, who's just going to try to sell us something. And basically I would, I would sit down with them, hear their problem and just prove my competence in this domain, which was, it's fairly nuanced and complicated and pretty quickly. I mean, I got some of my best clients that way. So I think competence and confidence will win the day pretty quickly. And, and that noise or that initial perception pretty quickly moves out of the way once you establish your credibility. Yeah. Have you ever just laughed at it? I've actually laughed at it at times, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, in a joking way and say, you know, well, what are you talking about? And I move on to, like you say, with confidence and confidence. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I think that's really an admirable trait. People who are able to use humor in the face of adversity. It's really charming, really (laughs) funny, and I think very effective. Yeah. And you know, and I think everybody could do it, but I think everybody can do it, but you have to be aware of how to do it and be comfortable with yourself. So I'm going to move into the personal space a little bit. So we have all have unspoken social contracts with family and friends as to what relationships should be like. Yet you have broken yours by changing greatly over the years from when you were a young woman. How have you handled these valued relationships when you have changed so drastically from what they knew you to be? I think that's incredibly challenging and something that probably every 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 person really deals with. And, and certainly any any woman who becomes a leader or is a leader is breaking out of what people expect you to be and becoming who you are. And I think the way that I dealt with it is basically by... I mean, there's different levels of relationships, but some, some friends you can just choose not to be friends with anymore. But I think more importantly, I mean, it's every person's quest to find their own voice and, and become comfortable with who they are. Because I think there's this expression that there's only one, one version of you in the whole world who's ever going to exist. And if you're not going to be that person, who is? It's pretty motivating to go find out who you are and be who you are. And, and, but to be comfortable in your skin and doing that is a huge challenge. I think the tendency is for people to push back a little bit in ways subtle and in ways not so subtle. In my experience, you can you can clearly articulate a boundary and just tell somebody, this is where my boundary is on this and I'd like for you to respect it. This is who I am or how I want to have a conversation or things I do and don't want to talk about. So for example, I don't like to gossip, but in, in some communities where that I came from, people talk about each other quite a bit. And it's just little social conversation about what's my cousin doing? What's this person doing? What's that person doing? And how it's how people relate and tell stories and educate each other. But I find it, I don't want to know other people's personal, personal matters. And so I have to, and I don't want, I don't want my friends or family to ask me about other people's personal matters. And so setting that type of boundary of just like, I would prefer not to, not to talk about our friends or family this way. People will kind of hear it and it'll be jarring a little bit, but but they turn, they come to respect it. And I think that they come to love you and admire you more when you're able to do that and grow as a person. Well, in reality, you're doing, it's an act of kindness because you are trying to preserve the relationship. Yeah, that's how I look at it. So it is easy to get caught in negative talk about yourself and about others. You just alluded to that. So how have you cleared this negativity out of your own mind so it doesn't impact your success and your happiness? Yeah. So um, I spent a lot of time in my late teens uh, studying Buddhists 
philosophies and doing a lot of meditation. And I still do a lot of meditation, a lot of meditation. And it turns out, you know, there's a lot of talk now about how you can rewire your brain. But basically, anytime I started to have a negative thought about anything or, or obsess over anything, I just like retrained my brain to stop thinking about it. So for an example, it would be worrying about something. If I'm worrying about something excessively, I just finally will think to myself, I've already thought about this. I know what my solution is if the situation happens. I've written it down in my phone. And so I've already thought about that. I don't have to think about that anymore. And you can kind of teach yourself not to think negative things. It doesn't help anyone else if you're thinking negative thoughts about yourself. In addition, most people are not thinking about you at all. You know, so literally the only person that you're hurting is yourself and other people aren't thinking, oh, why is she wearing that or whatever? That just does not occur to them. So it's just really a waste of time and energy to, to think negative thoughts. And so I ultimately decided not to about 20 something years ago and retain that pattern to this day. I think it's work worth doing. And I, I, I was just chuckling as you were saying that because I had this conversation in my household this weekend about a family member being so concerned and absorbed about being judged by other people, how they look. And I kind of chuckled at it because I said, you know, you're giving a lot of credit to other people because most people are so self-absorbed. They are noticing you as just a fleeting moment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. And you know what I've learned too, is that when you are positive about yourself and you radiate positivity, other people love that. And I think that like, then they trust that you're not thinking negative thoughts about them either. Because I'm not, I'm not thinking negative thoughts about people or if someone shows up at at the office with a rumpled shirt or something, I'm not thinking, oh, that person's a slob. I'm just not, it's not what occurs. It's like, oh, you know, maybe it was in the corner of their office. If if I even noticed. Yeah. I think that when people see somebody who's positive in their own mind, then that gives them the opportunity to just feel free and more relaxed and embraced. And it can also, if you're a leader of a business, lead to a whole company that thinks that way and and creates that way and and reflects on each other or a whole family, you know, whatever community you're part of. Yeah. And I think that's brilliant. And in that, I'll just add to that. We often think that if we are having negative thoughts, nobody's seeing it, but that's not true. We give off a whole energy, a whole body language that reflects this negative space we're in. Don't you think, or at least I have found that. I do think so. Yeah. 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 So as much as we think we're hiding it, we might not be doing such a good job at all. So being able to balance emotions is an important aspect of effective leadership. Uh, You and I both agreed on that and we talked earlier. So how do you deal with emotions in your role as a powerful leader? Well, I mean, I do think it's definitely something worth managing well and and carefully. I guess I've learned early on not, not to send email when angry not to act out of anger or speak with someone when I'm angry is usually usually the approach I take. And in fact, I've asked my, my company, you know, in part of our employee handbook and, and some of our trainings, it's just like, we don't talk to each other that way. So if you need to go, go step aside and um, get some, gain some clarity. So I guess that everybody has emotions. Everybody has stress. I guess it's a CEO's job to project calm at all times. But so how do you get grounded in calm? I think it's about going and doing the work kind of behind the scenes before you show up and um, getting centered. So on this emotion front, you mentioned anger, which I thought was very wise advice. But how about when you're as a leader, you're in a state of fear? Well, you can't stay in a place of fear and leave, I think. 
So again, I think it's about going behind the scenes and kind of thinking through the worst case scenario, deciding if you can accept, deciding if I can accept the worst case scenario, ascertaining how to get, how to avoid the worst case scenario, but also communicating calmly and clearly. We have a fairly, I have a fairly open book management style. So just to give an example, when COVID-19 hit, which was about nine or 10 months ago in the United States, U.S. economy, we didn't know what was going to happen. I assumed we would lose one third of our revenue, which was our worst case projection. We had just hired 100 people. So it, it's a little, that, that's a frightening type of situation. And a lot of people's lives were at stake and their livelihoods were at stake. So ultimately, I spent a lot of time with my CFO ascertaining what's the worst case situation and, and how are we going to manage out of that situation or how do we deal with that? And subsequently had an all hands meeting where we said, here's the worst case scenario of what can happen. Here's our plan with absolute clarity. If there are jobs at risk, there are no jobs at risk beyond this point. This is how we're going to get through it and ask for the team's collaboration to get through it. So I think, I think as a leader, the obligation is to take the worst case scenario, plan around it and deal with it and project calmness and ultimately get calm. You know, we, you can't stay in fear all the time. Well, and when you do what you just described, now you're leading, aren't you? As opposed yeah. to being, as opposed to reacting, which right. is a dangerous place for a leader to, to be in. All right. So I'm going to stay in the personal space for a second. You recently had a beautiful daughter and I know you love being a mother. But I also know you need intellectual challenges as well. So do you ever feel guilty about not being okay with just being a mother? Oh, I don't, I don't feel guilty about that. It's not my nature. So um, I know some women do, do struggle with that, but, but it's just so not my nature that I think I left that long ago. I've tried to take time off and it's just not my nature to be, I, I think I'm a happier mom and a better mom because I'm intellectually engaged. I hope I'll be able to teach her what it is to live a full life. When I'm with her, I'm fully present to her. But if I were to be her full-time caretaker of all the needs that an infant has, then I wouldn't be as fully present 24 hours a day with her. So I'm a better and more satisfied and happier person by virtue of having intellectual work. And I think that makes me a much better mom. So I'm going to go a, a little bit deeper into what you said. So for so many women, they may be like you, but they struggle with the society expectations, the messaging they get from maybe their spouse or their family members or whatever that tells them they need to stay home and make sure this child is raised properly. And that needs to be their role. What would you say to them? For certainly for some women, that is okay. But for the woman that's not okay, like yourself, that needs that intellectual challenge, how would you tell her to reconcile that? I think that's really sad because I think that if I could encourage that woman to step outside the current era and put herself 20 years forward, which is when her son or daughter will be an adult in this society, men and women will work. The days when women stayed home to take care of children exclusively and that was relegated to their sole role in society is, is a luxury and a privilege, but one that's not extended to the vast majority of people. And men and women should should work and should be productive in society outside the home. Some women do other things that isn't necessarily paid labor. So they might volunteer or do philanthropy or something. But they but women have always had outside interests from, from just their family in most societies. And I think that 
in order to raise children that can that can act in that society, you know, be be productive members of the future society, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to be a role model in a professional world for children. Yeah, I agree Maybe. with you. Yeah. Yeah, because how do they know how to maneuver the current environment if they aren't watching mom be all she can be? Yeah, and it might be worth noting, you know, I've noticed that young men and young women, well, young men no longer want stay-at-home lives. They don't, they don't want that. You know, they want partnership. They want love. And especially if you were to raise your children to expect that they were going to be able to be stay-at-home moms, which who do they learn from more than their mom, then you might be doing a disservice to your children, both in terms of their, in terms of their future romantic lives, but also their careers and self-actualization. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, very brilliant. I love that. Great insight, Nicole. So, Nicole, was there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? Well, I appreciate being considered on on the path to greatness, but I would say that, yeah, the things that I would like to communicate to other women who who are considering any, any change in their lives is that they're capable of way more than they've ever considered possible and that the journey to, to be yourself fully, you know, fully actualize who you are as a person is the truest reflection of who you are. It requires bravery, but also to follow your intuition. So I think that ultimately women know what is right for themselves. Like there's something deep inside of us that, that propels us forward against all odds and against adversity, and that we know to ultimately be the truth within ourselves. And so if anyone is ever having any doubts, I just urge them to tap into that inner truth and be who they fully are. It requires courage, but is worth taking the leap. It does require a lot of courage, doesn't it? You can make you sweat at the brow sometimes as you do that exploration and step into that role. But you've done it brilliantly, my dear. So thank you. <laughs> so Nicole, thank you so much for taking time. I know you are extremely busy these days and I, you don't know how much I appreciate you taking time to share your nuggets of gold with all those listening. Thank you so much, Annette. It's truly a pleasure to be here. I love your podcast and love being part of it. And Nicole was another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman's story unfolds. 